All right, this is an oral history interview with Kim B. Wells for the Dole Institute of Politics at the University of Kansas. We are in the Institute, uh, and today is Wednesday, April 18, 2007, and I'm Brian Williams. Kim, give us a little background on your family's political connections. Uh, My father uh, was somewhat involved in politics. We lived in Garden City in southwestern Kansas, uh, and uh, uh, he had been involved not in elective office but in helping candidates from time to time. Uh, And I first probably thought about it back in around late 50s, early 60s, and I was about 10 or 11 years old, so, uh, and knew the name Bob Dole from 1960, I remembered it from then, although he wasn't our congressman then, because uh, Kansas had six congressional districts back in 1960, my dates are right here, and then in uh, the reapportionment after the 60 census, Kansas lost a district, so our congressman was a Democrat, Senator Dole was in northwest Kansas, in Russell, obviously, and then the two ran in the new, what became the big first district in 1962. Uh, and that's, I think, when my dad's first involvement with Senator Dole came. And I don't remember exactly what his role was. It, uh, he might have been the county chairman or something like that. But it went, then later on did other things with Senator Dole, including he was a state chairman in 1968. I hope I have that right. Might have been, actually, it might have been 74, 74, I guess. But he had worked for Senator Dole in several uh, campaigns and other, other politicians. So that's how I got interested in politics. So what were some of your, your own personal early experiences? I mean, I didn't do that much in, uh, when I was really young in high school. Uh, I wasn't like a teenage Republican or anything like that, uh, although I certainly had that affiliation. But uh, I guess the earliest I was actively involved in the campaign, I remember a state Senate campaign maybe in 60, 68, uh, might have been 66. I went to, came here to KU in 1967. So. Might have been the summer between that one of those two years. It was a state senate candidate that I helped, and would uh, I, I didn't do a lot of door to door. I didn't start out just you know doing like kids normally do because I worked at a radio station. My father was in the radio business, so from the time I was 13 on, I was not on the air yet, but <laughs> working at a, a small radio station. And I loved that. I loved radio, so I didn't go out and do a lot of partisan political stuff. Although in a small town, it's the, the rules aren't quite the same. You're not like you're the anchor of the NBC nightly news and then go to a, rally for Democrat or Republican that night. It's not quite, the rules aren't quite that strict, but, uh, you know, I was always interested in politics, uh, mainly, and part of it was because of the interest in the media. I loved the news. All my friends wanted to listen to rock and roll music when we were in the car. I wanted to turn over to the news to find find the news, and uh, and the part of the news that always fascinated me as much as anything was the politics, and I remember listening to the conventions in 64, 68. I remember waking up in 1968, the, and hearing that Bobby Kennedy had been shot the night before in June of 68. So uh, it's, uh, it's something I've always liked. And even as I've gone on to another career, I, I can't help but check the Internet every day to check on politics. So, When did you first meet uh, Senator Dole? I would assume it would have been, I don't recall for sure, but I would assume it would have been 62. When I, I, can't, I hope my years are right. 21st when he ran in the, in the combined district. Uh, just I was again. I was twelve years old, twelve or thirteen years old. So I'm just so you don't have any no, I didn't distinct have any, relax, didn't have recollection. Any, yeah. Well, I mean, I, one thing about Bob Dole from the time I my first remembrance of him, and I don't remember exactly when it was till today, when Bob Dole walked in a room, you knew there was somebody there. I mean, he had a, he has a presence about him. So I, I mean, I, I I knew this wasn't just some local yokel running for the school board. I mean, this is this was this was a this was a serious serious politician, not just your ordinary 
politician in Kansas or anywhere else. So uh, I wish I could tell you I know exactly the first time I met him. But. Um, <clears throat> talk a little bit about that 74 campaign. Um, you, your father was more active than you were right, at that I was, point. Right. I was, as a matter of fact, I had, uh, uh, I had been away from 71 to 74 in law school at the University of Virginia. So I came back to practice law in Kansas City uh, in the summer of 74. So I was brand new associate of a big law firm and I didn't have a lot of time. So I was not that involved. I was, uh, uh, I mean, I certainly followed the campaign closely. I think I even helped on some, as I recall, on some radio spots they were trying to do to customize some spots because I could know how to run the, run the equipment and, uh, but did not have a lot, of, a lot of involvement in the campaign. Of course, that was a, that was a fascinating campaign. It was so close, uh, but I can't say that I helped Senator Dole in any meaningful way in that campaign. What about your observations of your father at work in that campaign? Yeah, well, he was again. He was the, the state chairman, not the campaign manager, which you know depends on the campaign how active that is. And he was involved in hiring and firing people, but uh, generally day to day day to day involvement. I don't know because he was in. He remember he was in Western Kansas. I was in Kansas City. He didn't make phone calls every ten seconds like we do now. Don't think about it. But uh, 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 certainly was involved in all the lot of the lot of the meetings, but day to day, I don't know. I wasn't, I really was not there, even though I was not that far away. So you established yourself in law practice here. Right. And then you made a move to Washington. Yeah, actually, I just moved back from, uh, graduated in, I guess, May of 74, came to Kansas City to a large firm, and then in, after Senator Dole did win the election, uh, Dave Owen, who'd been very active in the campaign, uh, who I knew, came to me and uh, asked if I'd want to go on the staff, and I said, well, I just moved back. I was just there in Charlottesville, and I'm just ready <laughs> to move all the way back. But no kids, not much, no furniture. It wasn't that hard to move, so I went to the law firm and said, you know, I've, this opportunity's come up. I'd like to go do this for a couple of years, and they were fine. So uh, uh, I did. I moved back then, and right after, I guess it was right after Christmas of 1980, so starting in 81, moved back to be on the senator's staff. And uh, on, his, on his personal Senate staff? staff. Uh -huh. staff. So what was your role? Uh, legislative assistant. Uh, I mean, at that time, he was a rather, obviously, a more junior member, uh, although becoming prominent already uh, after one term in the Senate. Uh, and I believe, and I was assigned technically to the Senate Select Committee on Nutrition and Human Needs, which was the uh, committee that Senator McGovern chaired. And of course, I had grown up being a partisan Republican, thinking, you know, George McGovern, seventy-two. This is not. This is not the guy. And, Got to know McGovern staff pretty well, and somewhat Senator McGovern, and realized Senator Dole had a lot of respect for Senator McGovern. Uh, and the first, although I worked on other things too, including uh, tax policy and things like that, because he was he had gone on the Senate Finance Committee. Uh, I the first thing of any significance I did was uh, be this being '74. Uh, there was a there were I guess our problem then was I try to remember was inflation or recession. Anyway, there was a high unemployment in the food stamp program, which the Agriculture Committee and the Nutrition Committee, both of which Senator Dole served on, uh, there was a lot of action on what, what we can do. People were waiting in line to get food stamps because there had been a lot of disruptions in the economy. And, uh, and I, there was a proposal made by Senator, Dole's, uh, Senator McGovern's staff, maybe we should do something to make it easier, at least people get people initially certified. And I went to Senator Dole. And I said, "You know, we always the Republican line back then was uh, we are we don't care we don't want to help the greedy, but we want to help the truly needy. We want to help." That was always the line, the lip service that Republicans gave, and I think largely believed. But because uh, you know, at that time, the welfare state was even 
greater with the FDC and all that. And I said, you know, it looks like, from what I can tell, this is a situation where there really are some people who probably could use help temporarily because of the administrative backlog and the paperwork. Uh, maybe we should try to do something that would show, uh, show that you were concerned about it. And uh, he thought about it and decided, you know, let's, let's try to work something out. So that, that became the first of many collaborations between Senator McGovern and Senator Dole, the Dole-McGovern or McGovern-Dole food stamp reform legislation, the first of which was a so-called instant certification, so people could get certified, and then you'd have to check their backgrounds later and uh, to at least alleviate immediate need. Uh, that, and that was the, that may have been the first time Senator Dole got a nice editorial in the Washington Post and the New York Times. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know for sure, but it's the first time I, rem <laughs> I remember one because, of course, it, it, was, it was unusual that he had been this rock-rib conservative, at least in reputation, uh, who now was taking the more liberal position on a, on a social welfare issue, even though uh, you could, well, I argued it really wasn't. It was an example of, this is okay, this is a, this is a true need, let's, let's, try to, let's try to address it. Uh, so that was, the, that was kind of, the, I thought, the breakthrough. And it also helped start changing, I, I think, and I'm not taking no credit myself, because he's the one that made the decision that it made sense, uh, started changing, softening his image somewhat from the gunslinger image, which I think was largely undeserved, underserved, uh, undeserved. Uh, but he, uh, I mean, the, the, the thing that I remember before, uh, a couple, I mean, obviously in 72, he was, he'd been chairman of the, chairman of the party, I get my dates right, and, uh, and the, he'd, he's the one that had offered the repeal of the Gulf of Tonkin resolution and infuriated Senator Fulbright, which was, Wonderful, actually. And, uh, but this was a this was a people saw a different side of Dole, and I think it is a and this was I think that to this day that's the one single event that I from, from my involvement that I remember that the change didn't change him into some kind of a bleeding heart liberal or anything. It just I think put a face on some kind of compassion in the Republican Party. Uh, I want to delve a little bit more into this yes. because. Um, <clears throat> This is such an important uh, piece of legislation, and he's right. so known for it for the reasons that you've just given and such, and I, I want to sort of explore it a, li a little bit more. Um, can you give me sort of the, the texture of his relationship with other senators around this issue? Uh, yes. A little bit more about McGovern, maybe, yeah. and then others. I mean, uh, the, t the, 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 the various pieces of the Dole-McGovern food stamp legislation carried over a period of time. There was this initial instant, instant certification to eliminating the purchase, there were some technical things, eliminating the purchase requirements, so instead of paying for, giving $100, getting $160 worth of stamps, you just paid 60, you got $60 worth of stamps. Just a little you know, netting out thing. Those things took place over time, and, it, and he became, he, he got to really enjoy, I think he really enjoyed the role of being a little bit against the grain of the Republicans, because he'd been a pretty much a down the line party guy. Uh, and I remember at one point we had a hearing. Uh, there was a, the Ford administration. Uh, this would have been probably 70, 75. The Ford administration proposed an alternative bill to one of the Dole McGovern reform bills that was much more restrictive. Uh, and uh, Senator Buckley from New York and Congressman Michael from Illinois had another bill, also much more restrictive. And I remember there was a hearing at the... Uh, Senate Agriculture Committee uh, on the sev several proposals, and of course uh, the, the chairman of the committee at that point was uh, Senator Talmadge from uh, Georgia, conservative Democrat. But Senator McGovern was on the committee too, and I, most of the, most of the Democrats were liberal. And they had a hearing, and Senator Buckley 
was testifying on his bill, and I remember Senator Dole at one, asking, at one point asked him, the, does your food stamp bill have a burial allowance for those who starve to death? I mean, it, it's showing, showing that uh, kind of biting wit. And, and of course, the, the mainstream media loved that, you know, it's, uh, because they love Republicans going after other Republicans. I mean, he said it with a smile and all that. Uh, it was, it was a, and, and actually what happened, the, some of the major, the final reform legislation of food stamps happened after I really was not involved directly. Other people on the staff had taken over. Uh, and I'd moved to different duties with Senator Dole. But uh, it was, uh, it, it was interesting that one, for me, growing up as a Republican, because of Senator Dole, to work on this food stamp legislation. And when things would go to the floor, I would be helping staff Senator Javits from New York, a very liberal Republican, and at one point we, Senator Dole couldn't make it to the floor. There was an amendment to his bill being proposed, and he was tied up in the finance, I don't know, somewhere else. So Senator Humphrey, again, the lion of the Democrats, said he'd take care of the amendment, and I remember briefing Hubert Humphrey, which I, you know, I, I could have never imagined five years earlier that I'm briefing Hubert Humphrey on a, on a bill to carry the, carry the amendment. So, uh, and, and I, I began to see then the respect that it had developed, uh, if it wasn't always there, because I wasn't there from Senator Dole's first steps into the Senate, between Senator Dole and people, and all, all, all the people in the Senate, uh, both, both parties. There were a couple rough edges. I mean, Senator, uh, Senator from Ohio Saxby made some bad comment, but for the, mo for the most part, I, I saw that there was, there was genuine affection for him from people on the other side of the aisle. And I, you know, growing up kind of, it's almost like it is now, much more I thought that's the way it was, and, and then no, there really was some collegiality, even if they didn't agree on issues. Uh, and it became apparent more and more as he became later in his career, when he became majority leader, uh, that there was actual he, he could work with it. He could work with other people, and they and they actually liked him. And you know, he could go on and meet the press and take a shot at him. Or, uh, but I saw when it was got to be serious legislating, he was he was in there, and, and people on both sides now, even the Republicans, when he was off on one of his. Uh, more liberal things like on food stamps or nutrition politics like that, they still, I mean, everybody, everybody liked him. And that was, you know, you could see then this was not just an ordinary, ordinary senator. This was, he was clearly already, already in the, in the first part of his second term or even probably in his first term when I wasn't there, starting to emerge as a serious national figure. So he didn't, you didn't see him then having to backtrack in some other area to sort of recoup his... I don't recall that, no. I mean, he was always, you know, tax policy and things like that. I mean, and economic policy. He was, this would have been when President Ford was, was president in the first two years I was, I was there. And he was clearly a, still, he wasn't, he wasn't a, some maverick Republican. He had an issue or two. Uh, I remember at one point that some of the national media would explain the, his support for the food stamp program, not try to explain it away not as something that he felt from a passion standpoint or a good public policy standpoint, but it was for because the, the farmers, there would be more food sold, which was total nonsense. The Farm Bureau didn't have any interest in the food stamp for people like that. It was, it was really had nothing to do with it. I mean, I, and when I'd see a reporter that had written that, I'd tell him that's something that's just, you just, that's not even close. I mean, go, I mean, you don't have to trust me. Go look, go ask, call the Farm Bureau, call the farmers in Kansas where they're real happy about Senator Dole's food stamp position. They either wouldn't know about it or care about it or be against it. So. Um, tell me how uh, the same bill going through two committees, how does that work? Well, it actually, the Nutrition Committee was, did not have legislative oversight. It was strictly a, you could have hearings, and it did not have, you, you did not mark up a bill in the, in the Nutrition Committee. Then it went, they, a lot of the same members that were on Nutrition 
were on the Agriculture Committee. And it was a committee actually created for Senator McGovern by the Democratic leadership to give him a, a platform on poverty and, and hunger issues, because that became, there was a, there was that, I believe there was a big CBS documentary in the late, early 70s about Hungary in America, which was kind of a seminal documentary and that kind of led to a lot of, so uh, the Nutrition Committee was really just a, you get right down to it, it was a, it was a media vehicle for, <laughs> for, for Senator McGovern, which he used quite well, too. So characterize the McGovern-Dole relationship after that, that particular legislation. Yeah, I mean, I've, again, they just, they just seem to be, and to this day, genuine affection between them. And I mean, they, they shared a lot. I mean, they, they had a lot in common. Other than, I mean, they grew up in the Midwest. They grew up, you know, without a lot of, a lot of means. They went to the war. They were both war heroes. Uh, one turned out to be far, far to the left. One turned out to be more to the right. But they, uh, it didn't seem to matter. It's the same. It's the same relationship he had, and I could see this with Senator Inouye, Senator Phil Hart. They'd had to share this common experience. He didn't share much of their political viewpoint either, and it's something that obviously I wasn't there, but it's obviously a powerful bond, that common war experience. Any, and that's an interesting concept, of course, and I'm sure you're right. Any other comments you could make about that? About that, the sort of shared World War II. Yeah, and I don't remember. And again, Senator Dole wouldn't talk about that a lot. I mean, he was sort of drawn out in later presidential campaigns to talk about the war. I mean, and but I no, I, I honestly have no personal recollection of them discussing it. Uh, so then you moved on. I moved on actually to come out back to Kansas in middle of '77 to try to redo the Senate Senate offices out here because I really wanted to. Frankly, I thought I needed to get back. I was going to go back to my law firm originally, but I need to get back. I didn't want to. I didn't want to live in Washington forever. Uh, I loved Washington. It was fun. It was a great job for a 25-year-old. Now this was. Now this, of course, intervening before I moved back was the vice presidential campaign in '76. So that that obviously was an unique experience. So when did you come back? I came back in '77. Shortly after the '76 election, I came back in. I I believe the spring of '77. So. Most of these early involvements on nutrition and food stamps were 75, 76, then 76, the Republican, the Republican convention in Kansas City, and thought I was just going to go to the convention and, and ended up being you know, on the plane for the next two and a half months. So let's, let's start with that. Um, you, you mentioned uh, Ford's involvement in the food stamp issue, so you must have seen the White House a fair amount. Uh, no, I didn't actually. You know? I did, I, I didn't actually. No, I, I wish I could tell you I was down there at high-level meetings, but no, I, I didn't. Uh, uh, I've never met President Ford until Vail, Colorado, three days after the Senator Dole was nominated for vice president, and we went out there to, for meetings. Uh, so no, I didn't really, legislatively, I didn't have anything really direct. So from the perspective of the staff, did you see that nomination coming? No. No, I remember, as a matter of fact, uh, in... Uh, spring, summer, before the convention of 76, I, had, I was in the office in Washington uh, and heard, had the radio on, to, and heard that uh, uh, Governor Reagan had selected Senator Schweiker to be his running mate if he got the nomination, which was very unusual. You know, I don't think that had ever happened before, where a candidate who didn't have it, might not even get, probably wasn't, you know, at least at that point it was close. Uh, and I went into the senator's office, I my immediate went in there and told Senator Dole, that I could, I could tell he was surprised, like everybody was when I mean, Swiker had been more of an Eastern liberal Rockefeller type Republican. Uh, told him that, and he told me later that he thought 
that was the last chance, chance he had to be on the ticket. He thought the best chance he had to be on the ticket, being a Ford man, was for Reagan to get the nomination, and then Reagan to reach out to one of one of one of one of the Ford supporters. And he thought at that point, well, that's 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 the end of that. He didn't say anything at the time, but uh, obviously it worked out worked out okay. <laughs> Ford selected him, but that was that was very interesting when he mentioned that to me. Probably, I think he mentioned that to me on the plane in '76 as we were flying around. So um, the the convention occurred in why, why Kansas City? Do you? I don't remember why they chose Kansas City. Uh, Midwest. I don't know. I hadn't been there since the last time I was there was in '32 when they nominated Herbert Hoover. So the old ones weren't really good. But, so no, I, don't, I don't recall how, how it got selected. I remember I was excited that it would be in Kansas City. So then you were here yeah, during I came the back convention. Senator Dole to work, helping him work because he was on the platform committee. He was temporary chairman of the convention, I believe, and. Just a couple, three of us came out here, staff people, and, uh, to help. Uh, I, I, learned, I worked on some of the some of the platform drafting. I remember uh, doing some of the staff work behind that. And it's not like it is now, where the, someone it's all written ahead of time. They actually, we actually had hearings, and people would we actually had people testify and write a, write a platform. Now I think it was probably sanitized by whoever the nominee was when it got through all that process. Were there some hot issues during the platform debates? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Not, I don't recall. I wish I could tell. You. I don't. I don't. I don't recall anything really, really too volatile. Probably forgetting something huge, but I don't recall. <laughs> so he gets the nomination, and you go on his right. Get on the. the, on the we actually we flew back to Washington. This is an interesting story. We flew back to Washington. Uh, convention was over on a Thursday. He was going to do some of the morning shows, or the, the Sunday morning shows, uh, su- that Sunday, which he did. Uh, matter of fact, I got to go with him. I think he did meet the press or face the nation. I remember, that, again, like being brought up in the media business. I mean, that was, like, really cool for me to be there right on the set of those shows, which I watched or listened to since I was became aware of politics. So, And then Monday, the following Monday, uh, we were in the office, and I, the phone, uh, someone buzzed, the operator buzzed me and said, Senator McGovern's on the line for you. I said, you mean he's on the line for Senator Dole? No, he wants to talk to you. I said, okay. Uh, I pick up the phone. I said, Jim, this is George McGovern. I said, I've got a couple ideas on how Bob can get under Jimmy Carter's skin. I thought, this is great. And I'm here, this history, the Democratic nominee for president from the immediately preceding election is calling me to give me some ideas on how the Republican vice presidential nominee, his friend, can get under Carter's skin. He did not like Carter. Matter of fact, it was, it was he revealed here in the last year he voted for Dole, for Ford. George McGovern said this, and he said, when I, I think he said it in the context of uh, when Mrs. McGovern died in the last year that she both of them had voted for Ford and Dole. They did not like Carter, uh, which was very interesting. And I, and I, to the, I so of course I distinctly remember that was I'm, I'm 26 or 7 years old at this time. I distinctly remember the conversation, him calling me. I don't remember what the things were. <laughs> you didn't even ask me that because I, I don't remember exactly what it, what it was that, that, he, uh, that he told me. I mean, just, there were a couple little things. You know, he thought he could needle him. But I thought, and that was, that was pretty good. I and I passed them on to Senator Dole. You know. uh, he, uh, then we went on the next day to uh, his first big speech was in Seattle to the VFW convention. On Tuesday, and we didn't have a plane. There was no corp- there was no campaign plane. This wasn't thought out as well as it is now. We just flew out commercially to to Seattle, uh, and I remember we got there. We left in the afternoon before the five-hour flight to Seattle from 
from Washington, got there, had his, had his speech. Noel Cook, who's a, done some work for Senator Dole, a very good writer, had written a draft speech, and we tweaked a little bit. And I got to, I, I, uh, there was a, the issue then was amnesty. Carter proposed amnesty for Vietnam War draft evaders. And, uh, and I remember I, I, Noel, who could write, I'm not a speech writer, I can edit, but I can, would not claim to be a speech writer. There far and few between, but I remember I edited a line that that was what made the CBS Evening News the next night. I thought that was, that was it was about amnesty, I don't even remember the black line, but we got there, that speech was ready, but they was going to speak at the State Fair in Iowa the next day. So they had faxed, and faxing was the six minutes a page fax, like it's not <laughs> back in, that was, fax was early on. They'd faxed his speech to the governor's office in, I believe the governor's office in, out of the hotel. Anyway, we get there, and there's a, it's on agriculture policy, which I basically know nothing about. I mean, I grew up in western Kansas. I, I can't identify crops, okay? And, uh, and we get there, and uh, Senator Dole looks at, he takes the speech, and this is like, it's like 10 o'clock at night, so like, it's, it's 1 in the morning, East Coast time. And uh, he just he takes that, calls me in, and he says, written up in the upper left-hand corner, disaster. <laughs> I mean, the speech was no good. So I'm on the phone, back on the phone with people in Washington, trying to rewrite. When I say rewrite, this is, this is how things are different. Rewrite means the press secretary was there, Janet Bradbury, Janet Anderson, and I. Uh, by rewrite, it means edit and retype myself <laughs> on a typewriter, no computers this agriculture policy speech and be talking to, to people, Bill Taggart and Bill Wolford, who were in the Washington office, who knew something about it. I mean, I, and I could, I try to put it in the words and it, uh, we got it done and he, we flew back to Des Moines then after the speech in uh, Seattle and he gave the, gave the farm policy speech. But that was, that's how that campaign started. Then by then later that week, I think we actually had an airplane, 727, but up to then it was just flying by the seat of our panel. And Larry Speaks was on the plane too. Because Larry was assigned by the Ford White House to be the spokesman for the Dole campaign. Uh, so he could help a little, but he knew about as much agriculture policy as I did. So, so you were a three-person Yeah, back there were three. Maybe there were a couple other you know, people carry bags, stuff like that. But it was the, for the first, the first outing was very, very, very small. And, you know, there were the press. I don't know how the press, I don't remember how the press, they must have gotten reservations on the same plight. It was a, I don't even remember how they got there. But by the, by the end of the next weekend, they had a plane. And at that point, then we were on the same plane. What kind of a security detail was there? Uh, there were there were agents. Yeah, there were not not great number, maybe three, four agents on the plane, and then you know obviously they had brown people. But uh, that was uh, matter of fact, the agents the, uh, when when Senator Dole was the go backwards in time, then when he was chosen for vice president, the word came on that Thursday morning, Thursday morning in Kansas City, and he was staying at the Muehlbach Hotel. In Kansas City, and we, uh, the, the way you knew you'd been selected, I mean, they, you got the call. I was in a room next door, and we had connecting so I could go around the back, and agent showed up with a car, one agent, I think, to drive him back to the other hotel in Kansas City where, Gov where uh, President Ford was. And we tried to sneak him out the back door, but there were reporters, he, and his name had been floated. They knew then that he was maybe one, so the reporters in the hallway just on the 11th floor of the hotel. And, uh, but that was the first time we encountered the Secret Service, which again, I, for me, I'd never really been around them, around them before. Um, now, you, as you describe this telephone call and you typing away, um, where were Ford's people in that mix? They weren't. This is what's interesting. Uh, 
they, they were not, I mean, looking back on it, I, I didn't, it's the first, first vice presidential campaign I'd been on, so I didn't know any better. It didn't even occur to me at the time, oh, wait a minute, we're, we're, this is supposed to be, we're not, this isn't a Senate campaign. We're supposed to be reflecting, now he knew what the Ford administration policies were on agriculture. I mean, Senator Dole's intimately involved with the issue, so, and so did the people that worked on it, on Senator Stafford. There was no, other than Larry being there, who's the press guy, he's not the ag policy guy or domestic policy advisor, uh, there was nobody, there was nobody there. And it was, we're just saying what we wanted to say. I mean, and it, which you, I'm, I'm confident that does not happen now in the vice presidential can, campaigns, at least not, by, not on purpose. I mean, it's, but the same with the speech of the VFW. It was, I probably just messed that, it may have been the Legion. I think it was one, <laughs> uh, the, uh, no, it was, there was very little, Coordination. Matter of fact, throughout the entire campaign, I, you know, I was the one that was carrying the issue stuff around on cards. You know, he, Senator Dole is not as good with a prepared text unless he has a lot of time. He's much better, much better off the cuff. So we tried to get away from the written speeches, other than when it was a really formal speech, and use note cards with issues we could sh shift around from issue to issue. But I made them. I did them. Now we had White House briefing books that, that the president would use for like a debate or something like that. We'd get them, but. There was no one. I didn't. I, I, not to one. I never did. I have anyone from the White House call me and say, "Now we want him to say this." They, they may have talked to him about some themes or something. Talked to me, and I was the one that was giving him some of the things to say. Of course, he, most of what he said came out of here, not any cards I wrote. Acknowledging that uh, that uh, Ford Dole came real close to winning that election, right? Amazingly uh, so, considering yeah. where they started, right? Right. Um, are you? Do you? Explain the defeat in any particular way, and I think Senator Dole was, was it was Watergate. I mean, he just they just didn't quite couldn't quite overcome it. He said that, as he said after the election, that Gerald Ford was the last victim of Watergate, and I think that's I mean that's basically it. I mean, could the campaigns have been run better? Uh, yes, but I mean it's a little hard to criticize a campaign that starts thirty points down and gets to within a whisker of winning. I mean, you can why didn't you just like? Coming back in a basketball, getting behind 30 points, you couldn't quite get over the top. You know, coming back is hard. It's you get 20 points down, and you pull within three, and it's hard to get over. You just can't dig yourself that big of a hole. But it was, it was just the time. If the election had been held a year, six months later, I think that would have made a difference too. Let's get a little farther away from Watergate because it was such a wrenching, wrenching thing. I mean, you know, even the and that was Jim Baker's first big national campaign with the. It, to this day, I've never met. I don't, not, uh, but he, I mean, they, they did okay, but I look back on it. When we did the debate in Houston, the, the, uh, there, was, there was nobody there from the White House. The, I mean, they gave him a, let him try to practice, but he wasn't really good at practicing in front of cameras. And the, the, the afternoon of the, the debate in Houston, uh, which was, I think was October 15th of 76, uh, he finally said, "Okay, why don't you why don't you ask me ask me a few questions?" So it consisted of of me, Senator Dole, sitting around a coffee table at the hotel in Houston, and Alan Greenspan, just sort of throwing questions at us how he might respond. That was the that was the debate prep. I mean, that was the last minute debate prep, and uh, he did fine. Other people remember a couple lines that you know. Thanks. Now I, mean, I, I always laugh about that. We talked about it. He was Mondale had George Meany. George Meany was his makeup man. He said, and the Democrat wars line, which which everyone remembers. I mean, you think of stuff people say now. It's just 
anyone that ever thought Bob Dole was some kind of a hatchet man, he's so tame, so much more respectful than what goes on day to day, banner every day now. So, but uh, yeah, the striking thing looking back on the campaign was how little, how little coordination there was with the vice presidential candidate, and then Senator Dole was sort of deciding where to go. We'd decide where to go instead of the camp White House saying, "No, you will go here," which probably is the way it ought to run. Was there much chatter between uh, Dole and Ford personally during the campaign? I think there was, but again, I wouldn't, you know, they had phone conversations and get together now and then, but I wasn't, like, wasn't privy to that. And how would you characterize uh, any changes in, in Dole before, when you knew him just as a senator and then as a vice presidential nominee? Think much. I don't. I mean, just just. I mean, it was, he was under a lot of pressure. You're doing four or five stops a day. You're tired. Although his stamina is legendary. I mean, I was 26. He was 50 some. You know, uh, younger than I am now. And he had much energy more than I did. So, I, I don't. I didn't notice it. I didn't notice much change really. I mean, he uh, just day-to-day demeanor and how he conducted himself. I didn't. Maybe I'm forgetting. Maybe there was there was something. The heat of the campaign, but I don't remember it. And what was he like in between events, just traveling around uh, downtime? What was that like for you? Yeah, we'd be on the plane. He was he was always you know come back and chat, or he'd go back to the press. He was good with the press. You know, they always because he was always good for a quote and and all. And I think I believe most people on the press actually end up voting for him. I mean, which they I'm sure they're not Republicans. I was pretty confident of that. That the not sure about the reporter for the New York Times or someone, but I bet I think a lot of them really got the ones that didn't know him already from covering the Capitol Hill. The ones that got to know him, I think, like he, I think he got along pretty well with them. And it was it, the plane was. Uh, my memories of it were pretty good. I mean, it, you know, he would at the last stop of the day, you know, he'd come back and he's with his socks off or his shoes off and just shoot the breeze. It was. Uh, it was a pretty good atmosphere. So shooting the breeze meant talking about what? I'd talk about the event or what's coming up next. I mean, you were, I mean, I don't know. We talked about the, maybe talked about the Kansas City Royals. They were kind of good then. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't not a big sports banner guy. Although he, he always knew more than you thought he did about other things that you were interested in. But it pops up and out that you thought, where did that come from? How did he even know? But no, he was. It was. Uh, I think if you had a good stop, it's like anyone else. If you had you just had a good, you just went to. Wherever you were, and you had a great rally, you know, you get back. You're, you're especially if you're the candidate who's 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 made, who's made it good. You get pumped up. You know, everybody goes through those kind of swings. But he very seldom was really down or anything like that. Have you thought about the source of his humor? Uh, I read a lot of speculation about that. Uh, some that it sort of comes from bitterness because of the blow, the World War II wound. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I certainly I wouldn't attempt to analyze that. I I don't. I just know it's always there. It's always been there. And and uh, I I had an uncle who was quite a humorist, mm-hmm. and I was always aware that he was enjoying his humor as much as the people. Yeah, I think most <laughs> most comedians or humorists do. I think they're entertaining themselves as they go along. So, did did you ever sort of after some event and some particularly pointed quip uh, see him sort of chortling to himself about it? Or, yeah, I don't no? recall that. I just you know. And his humor was, you know, was, if he was, uh, it was never, it was uh, never off color, even in private. Uh, just, just funny little observations. I just, he just, he's just, uh, what the wellspring of it is, I couldn't tell you. I, I really wouldn't attempt to 
And you would say that, that the majority of it is spontaneous. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he's got a few canned jokes. I mean, they matter of fact, during the campaign, there'd be one joke he'd tell about a bear in a bar and... And at one rally, he was not going to, it was clear he was wrapping up and wasn't going to tell it in the press corps, and the press pen started screaming, <laughs> bear joke. I mean, it's a, but most, for the most part, the funny stuff he did was, was off the cuff. I mean, it was, uh, I saw him at one time at, on Saturday night, we had a, a uh, banquet in the, at the Disneyland Hotel in Anaheim towards the end of the campaign. And it was Saturday night, West Coast. Unless you say something crazy, you, it's over, there's no news. You've missed all the deadlines. He just stood up there and had an audience, including some Hollywood people, just in stitches. I don't even remember any particular observations, jokes he told. I just remember they just remember Lloyd Nolan, the actor, was the MC, and uh, he just he had that group. He just had a meat out of his hand. It was just he didn't. I don't think he even talked about policy one time. It was just a bunch of just a one-liners or observations. So it was definitely on that night. My guess would be that the, one of the reasons the press found him attractive was because he was not giving the same speech at each location. Right, yeah, he, which he needed to. I mean, you know, you look, you, look, you look back on it, you don't need to keep the press entertained. You need to have a message. And, and sometimes it's, uh, it must be horrible for the, for the press that has to travel to hear these disciplined candidates today, especially with, with uh, the 24-hour media, just the same thing over and over again. I, he'd get bored doing that. I mean, he'd say some, some of the same general things, but, uh, uh, and he'd have some good wrap-up lines. But, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a discipline. And I don't think President Ford was either, a disciplined message. There wasn't, again, this gets back to the White House. Wasn't that, Here's our message this week. Here's what we're trying to push, uh, you know, tax policy or something like that. It didn't exist. Um, going back to your time with him in, in the Senate, um, Describe the ambience of his Senate office. What was that like working there? Uh, hectic uh, compared to the other. I mean, the, the, the amazing thing about Bob Dole was not only was he a national figure, he was also wanting to make sure that the Kansas, you know, he, he would accomplish more in the first, I mean, no disrespect to the other members of the Kansas delegation, which I had most contact with. I mean, it was just an entirely heightened level of getting stuff done, making a difference. Uh, uh, and it was, there were times it was just absolutely hectic trying to do two things. He's trying to catch a plane to go somewhere, and you're trying to get something done in the uh, legislative battles. And he would, uh, uh, there were times when he, he, would, he could occasionally be short-tempered, but just briefly. And then uh, he just learned to, okay, that's fine. And then he'd come back later, and everything would be okay. But because he was doing, he was trying to juggle eight balls. He was trying to do something on food stamps and work on an amendment on a, Farm bill and get to the finance committee and give a speech and catch a plane at two and have someone get him to the national airport in time. You know, it was so it was. It had to be much more active than most Senate offices. I mean, much more active. I mean, I, I remember at the time uh, other other Republican senators that I had contact with. He was he was he ran much more of an office, more like a some of the some of the national democrats just that there's there were staff just always they're always looking for something to get ahead get a good get a good story and uh and I, that was my my focus i mean i got there i remember telling the press secretary you know we just want stories in kansas we can do anything you want but that's this game you know we gotta we gotta just sort of i mean i was, I was ambitious for him uh, which i think he probably sensed and appreciated i mean that's what started with the food stamp thing things like that to, so he was always looking for a way to get involved. Plus, he'd come up with his own. He was a very good legislative 
I mean, he didn't need a strategist for the most uh, most part in terms of how to how to cut through the crap in the legislative process and make a difference and be a key player in various legislation even long before he was in the leadership. So that, but you knew he was he was always on alert for that. It made the office. It made it kind of hard because he'd keep a lot in his head. This is, this, you know, part of because of his handicap. He just didn't write a lot of notes. Didn't like, you know, he, was, he just to the day he left the Senate, he was all up here, knowing that that Democratic senator really likes this issue. I mean, just keeping on. That's why he was so popular, uh, which meant that you didn't you didn't always anticipate or know what he was what he was thinking about. Which meant sometimes it was hard to keep someone to come in to be an administrative assistant and find that they were being cut out. What because they were being cut out? It was just that. He was sort of doing it himself, you know. That changed over time as so he got more and more responsibility, and he, and he actually, get, frankly, had a better staff as he got to the to the to the leadership. I really got to the, be chairman of the finance committee. I was there and helped hire some of some of the top people that stayed with him then on through his leadership office that were were just they were just cut above the people in our office. Our office were mainly there were great people in the office that worked hard, but there some people are just more gifted in in thinking. Ambitiously for the for the candidate, or thinking about policy, or thinking about media, how this plays in the national media, and those people came on board, and most of them were not Kansans. Mm -hmm. They were they were people that were there on their merit. They're just very very extremely bright people. When he would come into the office in the morning, uh, what effect did his presence have on sort of the ambience? Oh, it was an office. He was the boss. You know, you didn't you don't if you're just sitting around goofing around. You know, you, you really wanted to get to work. And, but even, even though he knew, he, you may have been there till 2 in the morning with him on the floor of the Senate. So he knew you weren't a goof, but, you know, I didn't. As I got around him more and more, I got less and less worried, worried about that. You know, if I was talking to someone on the phone, I would, you know, I might finish my conversation real quickly. But he, no, he was, this is, this is you know, it was like, it's like, uh, Military. I went in the military, but just I mean, the, the, the senior guy comes in. You know, it's time to snap too. You know, and if you were you've been working hard for three hours, and you're just taking a two minute. You know, you, this was not. It wasn't like he wasn't one of the guys. He didn't try to be one of the guys. I mean, he could have a good personal conversation, but he wasn't one of these. He didn't call him by his first name. I would never have done that. You know, uh, so it was. It was. I mean, he was. He was important. He was an important person. And he would mainly operate out of his office, so you would go to him rather than his coming to you. Is no, that he'd right? float back. No, he would both. I mean, I'd, if I had something, I'd, if, as long as he was there and his doors open, uh, you could go in there. I mean, not anybody would, but I felt like I always could if I, if I didn't go in there to bother him about something silly. And, but he'd come back. No, he'd be back doing something, working on some issue, and all of a sudden he'd float back there. So worked both ways. So after the seventy-four camp, or seventy-six campaign, then you I moved back here to start his to redo his Kansas office. I thought next day I might want to run for office, and I just never did. But uh, that's not no place to run from, Washington. So I moved back, uh, and then there was a period of a couple years there where he had trouble keeping an administrative assistant in Washington. Just. This, it was all just personalities didn't work, but a couple couple false starts, and so I ended up even though I was living here, I would go back to Washington at least a week or two a month, uh, and sort of do de facto do some of that job back there, uh, 
which was, I mean, I would use that. I used to call him and say, you want me to come back this week? Or I'm thinking about coming back. Then before long, I'd just show up and I mean, he'd, he'd see me <laughs> just like I'd been there, like I had never been out of, out of, the, out of the office. Because I talked to him on the phone a lot when I was out here. And I was still helping him on speeches and things like that, again, uh, while I was in Kansas. I mean, half of what I did had nothing to do with the Kansas offices. I just happened to be located out here. So you weren't sort of um, closing the loop with Kansas. You were dealing with yeah, I was, you know, national I was doing, issues. I was, doing, I was doing more of what should have been done in Washington, uh, even though we, you know, we still had we had hired and fired all the staff out here and that kind of thing. So it was, you know, we were making sure the constituent services worked well. But actually, I, I had to admit my interest was not in answering letters from somebody who had a Social Security check lost. I mean, I, I, it's not interesting. I mean, I was more interested. In policy, and so I should have been in Washington, probably, but for my own other reasons, came out here. Mm-hmm. But he had some good people. I mean, he had some, some people that came in through that, started coming in at that point uh, uh, that were really top-notch people. Out here? Uh, and, well, here we're okay, but I mean in Washington. Yeah. He started getting, that's when the, the they really started getting, inter- well, Rich Armitage was there for a year as administrative assistant, which was a very interesting guy, but, uh, but some of the other people that had stayed with him for a long time. <clears throat> One more Washington question. Um, did he have a special relationship with the House delegation from Kansas? Was there any connection there? Not so much. I mean, just, yeah, I mean, he, he was always, I was very careful to make sure that you didn't, the nicety that, that you didn't, uh, he was working on a grant or something like that. He'd want to make sure that the House member from the district knew what was going on, especially if it was Republican, uh, which most of them were. Uh, but uh, as, to, as to his involvement with the House, other House members on legislation, I, I didn't have much involvement with that conference committees or things like that. And what about the other uh, Kansas senator? Uh, he got along fine. I mean, the, the senator, when I was there for the most part, was Senator Pearson, who was a uh, smart guy, a uh, little, more, little more liberal than Senator Dole, but... Uh, they got along fine. Just, just Pearson's was Pearson's just was a much more laid back. Not nearly. I mean, like night and day, frankly, between the two offices in terms of uh, activity level. Uh, I, I suppose they voted alike most of the time. When it got down to it, there were a few things that Senator Pearson probably didn't quite agree with him on. But his relationship was always good. Senator Pearson, I think, nominated him for vice president. He was chosen. So. so, for how long were you doing this? Once a month. Pretty much did that through uh, 80, through the 80, and then I think I actually went off the staff in 80 and became the campaign manager for his re-election in 1980. Uh, I did. I think I'm pretty sure that's right. And uh, it was not a not a tough campaign. I mean, I'm a little type A on elections, and he was always ahead, and there was no really, no one ever thought he would lose, but I was always convinced that that, we didn't take polling, we didn't do polling. But I was always convinced that, and I knew that last poll was coming out the Sunday before the election, and it suddenly, instead of being a 25-point lead, it was, it was going to be three. <laughs> I, was just, I remember getting up, like, going to the 7-Eleven here in town, like, five in the morning that Sunday to get the first edition of the paper. And that's where I knew their last poll was in. It was up by 40, so I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> I guess maybe we are going to be okay. So, but, so that's... And he was out quite a bit for that campaign, but he also did a lot of campaign did a lot of campaigning for other Republican senators and candidates around the country. So he didn't he wasn't here that much, even though he was up for re-election. I mean, he, he made sure it was when he come when he came to the state, he made sure he covered the state. I mean, we I remember 
Scott Richardson may have told you we were one time just one Friday we did just driving around Northwest Kansas and looking for the on a, on a fall night looking for lights which meant that's where the football games were in the small town. Just go over there, show up on a house, shake a few hands, and get in the car, and it's you know, as flat as this table out there, and we'll find, find another, find the next game, which was kind of fun. What influence did his presence have on the game? I mean, did they stop playing? For no, they didn't stop playing, I don't know, but, it, you know, again, just like, like I said the first time I saw him, he walks in a room, we're in a crowd, you know, even if, even if you didn't know who it was, it looked like it was somebody important. Well, they knew who he was. This is home. You know, this is Northwest Kansas. So, no, he was always greeted very very warmly and uh, even when he'd go to a hostile audience during the during the uh, late 70s when the American agriculture movement was the farmers were really upset and they were getting a little more militant I mean he I remember he, he went to one town hall meeting and there were four farmers sitting in front he tells the story better than I do so there were four farmers sitting in front you know overalls with hats on said dump dole and he always told us and he always told <laughs> told a story that he immediately said put them down as undecided <laughs> and so he, and then afterwards, then one of the guys came up and, you know, Senator Dole called him by his first name. He hadn't seen him for 15 years. That was, and the guy said, well, Bob, I know you're trying. You know, he, he all turned around with a dumb Dole hat on there. But that was the amazing thing about Senator Dole throughout his career. He would, we'd be going to a county, for like in the 80 campaign, to some small county, and he'd say, now, who's the chairman here? And I'd look it up, of course. And then he'd get in there, he'd see some woman, you know, elderly woman that he hadn't seen in. 15 years, he'd call her by name. I mean, it's, it's astounding. It's just a, again, it's part of keeping everything in your head. I, I, I was going to ask him once, did he have that good a memory? Was he that good with names and detail in his head before his injury? Or did he use the crutch of notes and things like that and writing things out like most of us do? Or did that make him become so good at it? Whatever it was, he's absolutely phenomenal. And as you know, as anybody knows, if you somebody important calls you by name, I mean, if you haven't seen that, makes you feel good. Makes you feel very good. Talk about the farmer uh, revolution. What was that? Yeah, all it was about? a little testy. I mean, it was all about prices were horrible. Farm policy wasn't good. Their target prices were were not. They were, they were hurt. I mean, farmers were hurting, uh, and uh, there were several several nasty rallies. I mean, uh, they didn't like. Of course, the farmers never liked the Secretary of Agriculture, no matter who it is, for the most part. And, uh, I remember who this was in the late 70s. It had been Earl Butts up until 76, and of course he self-employed and imploded with an off-color racist joke. Uh, I don't even remember who it was, but anyway, they were always mad, and it got to be, they really demanded tractor tractor barricades, went down Constitution Avenue, remember the big parades and all that. Uh, and he, for the most part, I mean, a lot of these people were people he knew, and that they they got a little radicalized, and not in a terribly radical sense, but by, by comparison to uh, the Farm Bureau, which is pretty establishmentarian, uh, he would, uh, I mean, it, it was, there were some times so they could get some criticism, you know, just because he, they wanted, they wanted it solved. They wanted the government to solve their problem. Or they wanted the government, and part of it, in fairness, I mean, I'm uh, personally not, uh, not as sympathetic to farmers. I mean, I'm not as, I'm reading more and learning more about this, but I don't understand why agriculture is treated differently than other people, why the government has to support it, although but then what happens, what had happened were big issues in President Ford and later with Carter where the grain embargoes where he wouldn't sell grain to the Soviet Union. And Senator Dole was not in favor of that, uh, the embargoes. But that made him mad. Well, then they start having a beef. If they're growing a product and then the government says you can't sell that product to a huge market and it hurts your prices, you know, that's uh, hurts your income. That, then you start understanding why they're mad at government. But 
it, as a matter of fact, I was thinking about the other day, I'm reading a book now that's uh, about corn, just about corn, it's called, uh, and it, I was wondering, what, how did that finally get resolved? I guess the demand went down, supply went down, and the prices got up again or something. I don't, I don't remember why, how the agriculture moved. After the mid-70s, it kind of, I really haven't had any radicalized activity since. But he handled it well, always, he always, always handled it, even though it was sometimes uncomfortable. That selling um, corn or wheat to uh, the Soviet Union was yeah. a difficult issue, wasn't it? Because on the one hand, you're you're helping the enemy. Right. Yeah. It was, and I think Senator Dole started out uh, being opposed to it. He was a strong anti-communist, uh, but I think he later adopted Senator Humphrey's view was that he would sell the Soviets anything they couldn't shoot back, and because of the farmers, it did help. It clearly was a large market and helped the farmers. So I think uh, it, I, clearly in '76 when we ran for re-election, one of the one of the things he would always say is no, no more grain embargoes. I mean, that was an issue that was in any agriculture rally. That would, which, uh, and Carter said the same thing, then imposed one <laughs> after he was elected. So, of course, in 80, um, he'd already tried a run for the presidency. Right. Yeah, and much. my understanding is that some, that affected some Kansas by saying, does he represent us or has yeah. he moved beyond Kansas? And right. how, how did he... Handle that. I was worried about that here. I was always, uh, matter of fact, we used a campaign slogan in uh, in '86. Uh, I, ran, I was chairman of that campaign. I guess yeah, I was. Chairman means you don't get paid. But, uh, I was out in the real world, but, uh, and just what we came up with the slogan was Bob Dole works for Kansas, because even though he did do, he was always ambitious nationally and doing other things. He clearly was still doing more than all the other offices in the state combined for the state. He was more important for Kansas, clearly, than all the other. But, you know, the, the problem is people see him on the news in New York or L.A. or Chicago, and they think, well, he must not be helping me any. You know? And so it was, a, it was always an issue, uh, but it really was never an issue. And ultimately, because he never had a real close election after that. I mean, I mean it's something I always worried about. I always looked at the dark side of how things could go wrong. But... Uh, he had a pretty good time. I mean, I would say, wish he'd spend more time out here. I mean, but he, he knew. He had a feel for it. How much time did he spend out here? Not that much. I mean, in the 86 election, I mean, he, he made, I said, you just you can make the illusion of seeming like you're spending more time. You just got to make sure you hit the right markets. Make sure you get on TV. Get on Wichita, because that goes to western Kansas. So it looks like you're here. Put out press releases on local issues. You can, you can, then you can go campaign for somebody in, in, in Minnesota or... Or Vermont, you know, it's uh, and, and apparently I overestimated how much people. I mean, there, there was a thought if he's that busy with other people, he didn't care about us, but it never showed up ultimately at the poll. And that part of it was he didn't have strong opposition, but that's also part of the reason he didn't have strong opposition. They knew he would, because if he needed to, he'd be here and he'd have been here 40 straight days, you know. And, yeah. I was going to ask you how you account for, for there not being strong opposition after Roy. Yeah, it's just. Uh, the Democrats didn't have a good bench, for one thing. I mean, uh, Dr. Roy is a formidable candidate, and uh, but after that, they just uh, they just didn't have. There were a couple of governors that could have run that might have given a race, chose not to. I think it's sort of the same reason when he first ran for the Senate in '68. Why did the other Republican congressman from Kansas just sort of let him? There was no opposition in the primary. Why did this guy from Western Kansas get a free pass through the primary? Well, because he wasn't just another guy. They knew who he was. They knew how determined and 
and what an attractive candidate he was. So you know, scared off the Republicans there, and it scared off the Democrats from then on out for the general election. So uh, anything else about the 80 campaign or the 86 campaign, or what about 92? 92, again, not much. It was uh, 92, we didn't know for sure if he was going to run. Uh, and that's the campaign he didn't even tell me. He came out here to have a press conference, said he was going to run. The, the, I remember in Topeka, he didn't even have an announcement. There was no, nothing written out. And so he said, well, I'm here. And he opened the press conference up. Someone asked him, well, you're running. And he said, yes. <laughs> that was it. That was his announcement. So most of those campaigns were pretty non-eventful. I mean, I don't re remember much of anything. Again, I was not full-time person. I was practicing law, but uh, we had campaign managers, but not a very big staff. And you got out enough to do what you needed to do. But. And what about your participation in the 96? 96, I was not that involved because I was just was too busy. In 88, I was quite involved. In 88, when he ran almost, you know, but for a few votes in New Hampshire, things could have changed a lot. Uh, in 88, I actually, starting in July of 87, I took a leave from my law firm and was on the campaign. With Bill Lacey, and uh, pretty much the, my, my basic week was I'd go in Monday morning and come back here Thursday and try to keep things going. Private practice on Friday, then go back to it every week, and then towards the end I did did some other other things. But I was pretty involved in that campaign in the Washington Washington office or on the plane. Anything stand out in particular about that? Uh, well, the parts that are you remember the most are the end. You remember how much fun it was to be in the Lee with him when he won Iowa, and immediately thinking, this doesn't mean anything, we don't win New Hampshire. And knowing you were starting out way down to Vice President Bush there, uh, and being with him in the studio when he told Tom Brokaw, time to quit lying about the record. And that was, uh, which was interesting, which was, which was actually true, they did kind of lie about his record. Uh, I, I, it was a, I, I remember the, the, the uh, we, you know, we won Iowa, when I was Senator Dole won Iowa, and that was on Monday, and the eight days later it was going to be New Hampshire. And by the, immediately the polls tightened. It was actually ahead in New Hampshire, just the bounce from Iowa. And the Friday before, the Thursday before, my wife called me and said, these kids are driving me crazy. We had three kids under age six, and you've got to come home. I said, it's, it, it, I have to stay this weekend. No, you and they were killing us with this flip-flop TV ad. Bush people were on taxes. Said we're trying to get this other ad done, and I'd written this thing that he was going to give to. Said we got to get this done. Well, I said you got to come. So I said it all. I, I don't matter if I'm here. I got to go. Here I've written it. You've, you've, you've given the speech. They're they're working on it. So I left Thursday night. And then came back Sunday, uh, but uh, then there was a snowstorm, a blizzard Friday, and they couldn't get the copy changed at the TV stations. Couldn't get the ad on. That was had encountered the, the Ford ad about uh, not the Ford ad the, the Bush ad about uh, Dolby and a flip flop around taxes. Uh, don't know if it made any difference. Might have, but I think he knew after that that it was probably over. I remember a week after that, a week or two after that was the South Dakota primary, which Senator Dole won. I remember uh, I was talked to him that night. I was in Washington and he was in San Diego. I said, "Well, congratulations," and he said, "Well, yeah, I can be pretty good. I can be president of South Dakota." <laughs> so. It was pretty much over after that, but it was, uh, it was, uh, yeah, I don't think anything else particularly. What's the last contact you've had with uh, 
Oh, on the phone maybe a couple months ago. Just you know, I, I mean, I was last thing. Uh, uh, meaningful thing was make was getting Bill Lacey hired. I mean that was you know, he had, I sort of Bill was looking for a career change and he'd ask me they'd ask me to consider doing this and I said I could find someone better than me and uh, so uh, that was uh, other than he's been out here several times I've seen him when he's out here but nothing I don't and I haven't been to Washington in a few years so we've come to the end of this tape. All right, you were starting to tell me a little bit about uh, the importance of Dole. And yes, I mean, just, it, it, he is such a, uh, an overpowering figure and someone that, I mean, I, I started working for him full-time when I, uh, when I was 25 years old and on and off involved in all of his campaigns from, really involved from, from uh, all the way up through, through 96 uh, and especially 88 and prior, every every campaign, either as a chairman or were on the campaign plane, you know, and then people to this day, I'm still identified as, you know, I'm Dole's guy, you know, and it's, uh, and I think about all the most interesting experiences I've had, I mean, and nothing compares to, to having to work for him, and, it, and it's, and I don't think it'd be that way if I, and maybe it'd be that way with any senator or prominent person, but I don't think so, I think it's something unique about him and his, his, his drive, his ambition, his involvement in issues that I was able to go from at, at age 25, being you know in the middle of major legislative battles in Washington, and something that you know you just most most people that get to be a legislative assistant in Washington, they don't they're working for just another senator. They're not involved in anything. It's just sort of going along for the ride. And I'm right in the middle of it. I'm thinking this is nothing going to be better. This is the, all, all the most interesting experiences of my life, uh, save the birth of my children or something like that. Are absolutely they're all dull experiences. They're not at the law firm. You know, <laughs> they're. They're things that either because of him uh, or through him, I've been able to I've been able to enjoy, and it's uh, uh, I, you look back on that, and you don't. Even though I appreciated it at the time, I appreciated that. Hey, I'm 26 and I'm writing speeches for the vice presidential nominee of the Republican Party, and on the plane, meeting national press people that I used to listen to on the radio. You know, you know, uh, when I'm growing up, I said. And I remember that was neat, but looking back on it, it was amazing that I was able to do that. I mean, I wasn't from some. Father wasn't uh, in Washington, some hot political star, and I, and, I, and it was uh, it just it was fortunate. It was absolute luck, luck of where I was, and hopefully I had something to offer that he saw that because uh, there were other people on the staff that didn't have this, as good an experience as I did because they didn't get couldn't get as involved in these national campaigns. But it's it's to this day I still you know people Dole says something or people ask me what I think you know even though I may have talked to him for three or four months you know he's. Uh, yeah, and, and, and in Kansas, be, being from Kansas makes it even more more pronounced because this is I mean he is he defined the whole general whole era dole, the dole era. I mean there were other people came and went uh, on both sides of the aisle, various offices, senators, governors, that. But he was he's, he was so much uh, uh, such much higher plane and such much bigger time politician than anyone that we've ever had. I mean he's uh, with all due respect to all the others that have served. I mean he just towers over them towers over everyone he served with from the state uh, and anyone will have probably forever I mean forever is a long time but it's uh, it's uh, he's he's unique I mean, he's a unique individual and I, and I would just absolutely look back on it just it's uh, really treasure the, the chance I had to work for and, and uh, hopefully help him along a little way we didn't get all the way where we wanted to get 
obviously, <laughs> 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. But uh, like I said earlier, I think I was as ambitious for him as he was ambitious for himself, for himself, which is, which I think is probably why, <laughs> probably why he liked me. I was going to ask you why you were the chosen one. For yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I've always felt I was. I was, and I, I was. Uh, I mean, I, first of all, I think I had something to offer. I did know a little. I do. I, I do have. I do have pretty good political instincts and communication skills, and I do under, and I do care about policy. I, I, matter of fact, I'm not interested in Carl Rove's job. I really don't care about. I mean, I care because I'm interested in the game, but the game is not what I love. The policy, I, and, and but I understand the policy has to be interwoven with the game. And so did, no one understood that better than Senator Dole. And I, so I think I, you know, I don't have nearly the political skills. I could not do what he does. I could not ever be him as a candidate. But I was, I think I was, uh, I think I, I sort of sensed what, what he was good at and, and I wanted him to, I wanted him to succeed. I wanted him to, I was a, you know, usually I think of these believers, these young, adoring college kids who love some liberal democratic senator, you know. Uh, and, I, and I was, you know, I was, uh, I was just dedicated to making him. I mean, it was it was fun for me. I mean, it wasn't like selfless. I mean, I, 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 it was I was absolutely having a great time doing it. But he uh, he's uh, I don't think there'll ever be another Dole. I mean, not from Kansas. I just I just can't. I, there was certainly no one I see anywhere on the horizon now that'll ever rise to his level. What uh, what was your most difficult time with? With Senator Dole, did you have a bad yeah, moment? I, yeah, that moment or two. Nothing, I, nothing, nothing significant. You know, I don't. I'm sure I disappointed him once or twice, and but I, and nothing. No scars. I don't, I don't remember. I mean, he could, like I say, he could be short, and he was busy, and and be difficult for a half a day. You know, but I never. You know, I never. Uh, I, I certainly, well, all my memories are for the most part very, 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 very positive. Because I think he got, uh, I think I did some good work for him, but boy, it was, I got way more back than I gave. Think about <clears throat> how badly he wanted to be at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Yeah, he, I mean, he did. I mean, he wasn't like obsessed. I don't want it's not to the level of obsession, but I mean, he was driven. And in, in American politics, if you're, Get to a certain level. That's where you want to. Get. That's where you want to end up. If you're at the county commission level, you're probably not too worried about 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. But if you get to where he got, uh, you know, that's. Uh, I mean, it, it, it clearly was in his mind all the way up to the, to the end of his career. I mean, at least from the time I was there. I, mean, I don't know when he was a freshman congressman if he was thinking about it. But uh, I think it's good. I mean, I think ambition in the right right format. I mean, I, I see. I think. Today, the ambition and the need to be on television uh, on both sides of the aisle. There are people who are just clearly just saying something so they can be on television. I don't think he did that. I mean, I, I, I mean, there's a little bit of that. I mean, you've got to be honest about it. There are not just a bunch of philosophers out there getting on TV that have, you know, uh, you, you have to have a shtick and you have, to have, you have to know when to strike, and that's a good political instinct that the best of them have. But it seems a little more crass and opportunistic, and I think of some, I mean, a, not to pick one out, but I think today of Senator Schumer from New York, who's a tremendously bright. I mean, he's so smart. You can tell, but he, he can't believe half the stuff he says when he attacks, attacks President Bush. I never saw that in Dole. I mean, there'd be occasionally you'd take a shot that was clearly just a political shot, you know. Uh, but it's not like it goes day to day, every day now, with some of the people who know how to get on television. 
or I mean, in the worst case, Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton. I mean, they're just clearly pandering. Uh, he was ambitious, but I don't think it ever, it never, I don't ever remember it crossed the line. Ever one, a lot of time I remember a pander from Senator Dole was the crown of St. Stephen, which was a crown that was taken, I've got this, don't hardly remember this, that the, was the Hungarian, or the Hungarian government, back when they were in the Soviet bloc, hadn't returned it to the people, and it was, and he took it, got, got a big excited about getting it back. That was clearly just a, just a ploy. I mean, it, it couldn't have been that much, that big a deal, but that was just a minor thing for a couple of weeks. For the most part, you know, the things he talked about, he wasn't, you know, he, he would do his criticism of, uh, he'd even call people. I remember when he, he was going to have to attack Ted Kennedy on something. I remember he called him and said, well, I think I, I'm going to have to take a shot at you on this. He'd call him on the phone, you know, and he never, it wasn't nasty or anything. It was just kind of a political jab. I don't remember the issue. I just remember I thought that was pretty cool. He'd give my heads up. And that's, I don't know if, I don't think it happens now. I, and it, happen, I, I mean, it happens the other way around. I, this is an anecdote that's totally out of context, but it just reminded me of one. In 88, we're in his Senate leadership office uh, having a meeting. I think Bill Lacey was there and Dick Worthland and some of the people were having a meeting. And, and Senator Inouye pops in, and they're having the Iran-Contra hearings. And he says, he said, Bob, I've got, we found this cable that we're going to release tomorrow, something that, kind of implicated Vice President Bush and something like that and thought you might be able to use it. I mean, just, I thought, I don't know if that, I don't know if that happens now. You know, it, I mean, they're, they're obviously, they go back to the hospital, right, after the war. And, and so even though some people probably still had the impression that Dole was some partisan hatchet man, here's a liberal Democrat who clearly had affection for him. And, and I'm sure there are some cases like that now, but I, I never thought, I just thought he, you know, uh, he had he had he had the right mix of ambition that went up to the line, but never, ever maybe a minute or two over the line. Uh, it was a, uh, and I and I see I, I don't see that now. I, I see a lot of for the people that get attention to get attention, they have to go, they have to just be pretty harsh. You know, both sides. I don't mean to just I picked I said Schumer, but that was on the Republican side as well. It's interesting how, how long the, uh, the perception of, of Dole as this sort of um, fiery, right. melancholy character uh, persisted when, in talking to almost everyone who worked closely with him, right. they describe a very different person. These people don't pay attention. I mean, they, they remember Democrat wars. They remember that. That's, that's all. They, they remember that. And they remember the, the rough campaign in 74 here. But uh, the people in Washington knew better. The press knew better. I mean, they, I mean, I mean, they, one of the most telling things was when they did a poll of the elevator operators in the Capitol, which senator they liked best. It was Dole, or the police, the policeman, the Capitol Police. They liked Dole, and and as David Broder wrote one time, if if we'd had a parliamentary democracy instead of a republic, Dole would already have been prime minister. I mean, there's just no question he would have been, uh, and. And partly it's probably why he wasn't the greatest presidential candidate. He was perfect. He was perfect in the parliamentary, parliamentary system. He was great with his colleagues. Like I say, he would always keep track of some, some obscure liberal Democrat, some little favor he could do or something that, you know, something that was important. And he made sure he knew. Or if they were going to offer an amendment that he knew the guy didn't like, he'd make sure it was when it was, he knew it was coming. Things like that. That, you know, he'd have been, he'd have been a great parliamentary leader and a prime minister. And I, I remember reading that from Broder that just... 
It's, it's, a different, it's a different game when you go out there in retail politics. Reagan's much better at it. He's given a speech. I mean, better than everybody, frankly. But uh, Reagan would have been horrible, probably, as a majority leader or the, or the prime minister in the parliamentary. He'd been terrible to detail and that kind of stuff. Then many won the great president. Let's go back to Democrat wars just for a second, because you were, you were there in the control room probably listening to this. A, how did you think he intended it, and B, what was your reaction? Well, I thought, I, I think the way he intended it was that it's just as stupid to blame the Republicans for, blame the Democrats for every, every war in this country as it is to blame the Republicans for whatever they were blaming it, the bad economy, the recession, things like that. It, it's not, uh, it didn't come out that way. It was, I mean, I, I remember when he asked, he asked somebody, how, how many people were killed in Vietnam? I remember he asked that before the debate. So he had the number. And uh, I don't think he wasn't suggesting that World War II was not a bipartisan, <laughs> bipartisan war. I mean, that would be insane. But, but it, you know, he... And, and telling this, and, and again, it's part of one of his weaknesses, and he got better over time. Saying something, I read George, Vice President Mondale, who he worked with well. They were on the Finance Committee together. I remember we did, like, not a month before they were both nominated, we did a Dole Mondale amendment, I remember. I mean, they, and he said something about George Meany was his makeup man, which is, that might be fine at a dinner, it didn't work on national TV at a debate, you know. It didn't, uh, I, I just, and Mondale knew better, too. Mondale was just here a couple weeks ago, you know. Um, well, sitting in the control room, were you, you know, hitting your forehead no, with I don't despair? Remember, I, I remember this is not probably good. I didn't know it would be, but it was an easy, easy way for the, it was a Friday night debate. I knew that would be probably what they would pick up on, mm -hmm. yeah, because it's, it's a simple story, you know. It's, they don't have to understand anything about policy or anything to say lost into a, partisan attack, and uh, I don't think it cost the Republicans the election by any stretch. So anything to do with it. And what about the lying, stop lying? Uh, that one I didn't worry. I knew that, that wouldn't come over well, but you know what? I didn't worry about that. It was over. It was over. You had to win New Hampshire. That was after we'd lost New Hampshire, so, you know. And going back, <laughs> no, I'm jumping here like a That's tennis right. game. Um, back to 76, where you said that he resisted any kind of preparation yes. for the debate. Um, just did. They, I mean, they, had a, they had a mock debate set up at Vice President Rockefeller's house on Rock Hill, Rock Hill, not Rock Hill Road, Fox, what's the road up north of the anyway. Foxhall. Foxhall, yeah. Uh, uh, and he went over once, looked at it, wouldn't do it. Just didn't want to practice. He just felt awkward practicing. Should have. I think he did later, for later debates, but uh, he would do a little more. Is that true? Yeah, we did some for in '88. I mean, not '76. There was only one debate in '76. And and what about? Do you know about '96? I assume they did. I'm almost sure they did, but I don't know. Bill can tell you or something like that. I don't. I don't know. Um. Let's see. Um. I, I wanted to ask you. I guess go back to. Uh, the, the matter of how, how much he really longed to be president. Oh, no, I know what I mean. I'm sorry, I'm mumbling here, because you really answered that. Um, what kind of a president do you think he would have made? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, uh, I, I think he'd have been good. I, I don't, I, I, it's so much of how good a president you are is dictated not just by how, what, what, your, what your demeanor is, but 
sort of what happens. The advances seem to this day and age just overtake you, you know. You know, Reagan turned out to be a great president. Uh, I wouldn't have necessarily predicted that. I mean, maybe because I didn't know enough about him. I, I should, have, should have seen that coming. Uh, Jimmy Carter was a disaster, you know. Where, where would Dole have been? I mean, he wouldn't have been, he, he would not have uh, rallying people in a, a, an emotional speech, prepared speech, not his forte. I mean, he could, uh, so I, I don't know. I think it would have, it would have just seen what happened. I mean, I, 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 try, I used to try to think about that, what happened from 88 on uh, with uh, President Bush. If Dole, had Dole been there, how much, how would things have been different? And I don't know. Of course, I think that those guys were a lot alike. Really, I don't think he was. He is also not a gifted speaker in terms of prepared text. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, it's hard to hard to say. I mean, neither one of them were Clinton off the cuff. I mean, he was a master, you know. So uh, I think he'd been okay. I, mean, I think it would have been good. I think it would have been sound. It wouldn't it would have been the crazy. It would have been uh, sticking to a theme, making sure you. Stuck with the policy, just pushed, pushed, pushed. Uh, I, you know, it's hard to tell. I, 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 I'm confident he'd have been, been good. Whether he'd been great, I honestly don't know. I don't know. Time sort of make the person. You know. When you were um, with him in '80 and '88, uh, did you were you predicting the role for yourself in the White House? Well, 80, not in 80, because that wasn't, clearly was not going anywhere. But, you know, in 88, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought about it. I, I really, uh, it was so early. I mean, it was just we had to get, we didn't get past New Hampshire. But I, I thought about what would happen if, you know, and I frankly didn't know. I mean, I, uh, I knew I would probably not be able to resist, because I, and I assumed that I would have a, Shot on a fun job. I didn't want to go back to be the deputy secretary of commerce. You know, I, I, I had no interest in that. But no, I, I would. I actually, I actually thought I, the job I would like would be would be press secretary. But I, I yeah, that was that was just a fleeting thought. We didn't get any far enough to start worrying about it. I don't think I could do that well. But uh, but I don't know. Did did your time uh, overlap with uh, Walt Riker at all? Yeah, uh -huh, a little bit. I mean, Riker was involved. I mean. I, I was in '88. Walt was on the Senate staff, yeah, and uh, uh, Walt's a good friend. He's the, the great guy. I think he had a unique relationship with the press. I don't, I don't, I frankly don't see Walt ever being White House press secretary. But. Why not? I don't know. I just, I mean, he he could do it. I don't mean he's not common. I just don't. I don't. I think. Uh, maybe I maybe I'm selling him short. Maybe he could be. Just I. Don't, I, I you see, I mean, the good White House press, the ones that are really effective at it, I mean, uh, which, which, including up to and including today, Tony Snow is very good at it. And uh, and some of the early, Jody Powell was good. I mean, he had nothing to sell. Because this, uh, so the communication skills, not just knowing the media, I, mean, I, I might have been terrible at it. I'm not saying I have any good at it. I just said that's a job I might like. But. Because uh, I might not have the patience. I think you have to have the patience of these pack of wolves you're dealing with every morning. It must be, it'd be hard. Talk to us a little bit about uh, those of you who are veterans of service with uh, Dole. Do you hang out uh, ever or keep in touch? Or what's the Through the Dole Institute, I see people, yeah. Uh, there was a, there was a, a uh, 
reunion a couple years ago, which I could not go to. I was out of the country. Uh, but I talk to people now and then on the phone and still see. There's still people around here. I talk to people in Washington. People were on the finance. Bob Lighthizer and Sheila Burke. I see her. She talked to them. Rodney Armit, people that. Uh, but we're getting older. Not all, not all here anymore either. Is there any common thread that you all share other than? Oh, there's the, the, the standard. I mean, Scott Richardson's the best. I mean, the standard, just the, the dull caricatures. You know, hi, how you doing? You know, hold hold the pen in your right hand. I mean, everybody does it. Bill with Bill Lacey and others. I mean, there's there's a lot of affection for for him, and it's just in a funny way talking about what things are like. I mean, to this day, I, John Peterson, who uh, worked for Senator Gold mainly out here, uh, but has been done a lot of kept in touch with him, you know, whenever he calls me on the phone, he goes, hey, how are you doing? Making any money out there? Just the way So there's a lot of that. A lot of that. Uh, I interviewed Tom uh, Coralogos, and he said that uh, he, he figured the reason he and Dole had an affinity is because they were both wise asses. Yeah, well, I, yeah, and I, I don't know Coralogos. That was a different relationship. I didn't, I would, I mean, I knew him, but that was, uh, yeah, that's probably right. I don't know if that's true. And Knopfsiger liked him, too, Lynn Knopfsiger, who's the ultimate wise-ass, and who's a great guy. But were you a collection of wise-ass? No, 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 I don't think that's true. No, I, I certainly was, my, I'm, I was much younger in money than some of that involvement. I was, I, I'm perfectly capable of being a wise-ass, but I think I was much more circumspect in my behavior. <laughs> in that, I wasn't, I didn't have the, I wasn't anywhere, when I contemporary as Cinder Dolls, and I, and some of these, I mean, Tom Cornelogos have been, you know, well, he had been the chief lobbyist for the White House, you know. I'm still just a guy from Kansas. You know. And maybe we will end with this. Um, as a guy from Kansas, and speaking for the Demo- or the Republicans out here, how, how did the Washington operation look from the Kansas perspective? The, the Senate office or the... Uh, I think generally it was viewed as, as pretty good. Uh, there were there were always I think there were always frustrations between the field offices and the central office because what happens there is there the, the, office, the Senate office is going to react to immediately react to the senator. He has something he wants to focus on. What someone out here wants to get done, if there's a time problem, is not going to it's going to go put to the back burner. So, I, but for the most part, I thought it thought it worked okay. I mean, I, his constituent services were always as good or better than anybody else's, as he was also doing national politics at the same time. And constituent services, that was mainly operated out of the local office. For the most part, yeah. There were, no, there were case workers in the Washington office, too, that would handle things that needed to be done there. But there were, you know, part of it was just showing the flag, you know, really. And, and again, it's different back then because long-distance phone calls, people didn't want to make long-distance phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> now nobody thinks a thing about it. So anymore, I think the need for the constituent offices is really probably lessened. But doesn't mean they're not out here still because that's the way it's always been done. Um, Richard Norton Smith, who's also doing interviews in this project, um, is asking some people, what would you say to someone 10, 15 years hence who uh, is a young person and who, who was dull? What would, what would you say to someone about dull the man uh, to someone who didn't know anything about him in the future. Right. Um, I'd say he's one of the best legislators of the 20th century, you know, one of the most important politicians of the 20th century, domestic politician, uh, who came 
pretty close to being president of the United States. No, uh, uh, he's a there, there, there. I would say there is no one up there today in the Senate that wields the kind of power or influence that Bob Dole did. Again, because of the nature of the times and how things have changed, and uh, or for that matter, with George Mitchell, I mean, someone who's extremely competent in his own right. Times have changed. We may not. I don't know if we'll see another anyone that powerful. They, they, they need to go read, they need to go learn about how a guy from Russell, Kansas uh, could learn to be friends with people from, you know, up, Upper West Side of Manhattan, and, uh, uh, California, and Hawaii, and they all respect him, and he was doing the most important legislative work in the country. And, uh, uh, and also, the, the personal story of Noel is, is just, it's compelling. I mean, it's just, it's just absolutely amazing. I've often said, if what happened to him happened to me, I'd have died in a hospital bed. Now, I hope maybe I'd have summoned up the energy and courage he had. But just watching his drive later in life, uh, that was him, you know. And I think most of us just wouldn't have made it. And when we'd have little setbacks, and someone would say, "What do you think?" Doles down in the polls, and the reporters would say, "There." Bunch of things going wrong in the campaign. I said, "You think how's he taking it?" I said, "How's he taking it? This is nothing. This guy was flat on his back for two years. You know, okay? this is nothing. This is nothing. He'll survive this. How will he survive losing that election? Fine. He don't like it. But he likes to win, but you have to worry about Bob Dole." Good. We're done. Okay. Great. Thank you. Sure.